Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How's the weather? Uh, it looks like it might <laughs> rain, but that's always the case these days. Tut, tut, it might rain, as Pooh Bear would say. It looks like rain. Pooh Bear always says, tut, tut, looks like rain. Well, it's been raining in Oklahoma. It, I got two inches last night. Few tornadoes bounced around the state. It's a normal spring. Yay. We always talk about the weather. Yay. You know, on podcasts, you're not supposed to talk about the weather. I have heard that. But we do. I've heard that. We're breaking rules, D. We're breaking rules. We're rule breakers. The truth is, what do two gardeners always talk about when they get together? The weather and what they're harvesting. That's right. And what are you harvesting out of your vegetable garden right now? Nothing right now, but I went out there this morning and I could probably thin out enough lettuce to make a little tiny salad. I emphasize tiny salad. Yeah, mine would be a salad for garden fairies. That's how big a salad it'd be. Yeah. I should have radishes in a few days. Yeah, and I didn't grow radishes this year, so no radishes for me, but that's okay. I, You know, before long, it'll all just be going crazy, and I'll have more lettuce than I know what to do with, even though I did sow some of the lettuce two weeks before the other lettuce to try to extend the season. How are those turnips, by the way? My turnips look glorious and beautiful, and I looked at them this morning, and I thought, these are going to be D's turnips, no problem. Yeah, sure. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, you want to hear a funny story about my petunias? I would love to hear a funny story about your petunias, even though that's last week's flower, but that's okay. Okay, but it relates to last week's episode. Gotcha. My sister sent me a text, and this is my youngest sister, and she says, I'm really kind of getting panicky about getting my flowers and stuff because I'm busy every weekend in May. And I text back and said, oh, there's plenty of time. Don't worry about it. I mean, it was April 30th when she sent that. Right. So so she sent me a text and she says, well, I'm going to listen to your podcast now, which was last week's episode. (laughs) So after I I, I know where this is going. After I told her no hurry. So she sends me this text and she says, you've already bought petunias. (laughs) You're in big trouble. And then the next text is, you go to the greenhouse every day? And then the next text is, you bought night sky and pink sky, which are the colors I want, and they're in short Uh supply, and you tell me not to worry? Uh And then I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And then she says, they better have some when I get there. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I better go to the greenhouse. So then she said, I have to stop listening because it's stressing me out. Oh, come on. This is like the most low-stress podcast there is. Well, if you're in a panic about getting your flowers, and I'm talking about varieties and short supply. Anyway, I went to the greenhouse, and I got her night sky and pink sky, which they had in stock, and a few other flowers. So they're on my porch waiting for her to get them. And then I accidentally bought myself some more flowers. But let's move on. Well, that just takes us right to It the took flower. me three wagons to get out of there, D. Three wagons of flowers. Three, three wagons, and you haven't even had your last frost date. No. Don't, let's move on. <laughs> okay. 
I hope my sister doesn't hear how much I bought three wagons worth. Well, you're sharing some of that with her, some of the bounties, so it should be okay. Well, you're going to have to talk about this week's flower because I'm just miffed that we're even discussing this flower. (laughs) I can't understand why you would be upset over columbine, which is a really lovely spring-blooming perennial. Because I can't grow columbine worth, you know, worth anything. So I've grown it, and it usually comes back a couple of years, maybe maybe one season, and then peters out. It does not reseed in my garden. It does not, not, well, go on and go ahead, but I'm miffed. Go ahead. Okay. Columbine reseeds itself all over my garden. And I love growing it. It comes mm-hmm. up everywhere in the spring and it flowers. And then it it's not a, a heavy plant. It has sort of a... No. Uh, so it kind of disappears the rest of the year. And around 4th of July, I go through and I cut off the seed heads. And if I want it to reset, reseed, I just shake those seeds out and more come up every year. Yeah, sure. It is a plant that disappears in my garden, too. literally disappears but i know why you like it because it's in your favorite plant family ranunculaceae i just wanted you to say that ranunculaceae so there are different types of columbines and you should explain that and maybe my problem is that i've always grown the fancy ones i don't know right there's there's two kinds there's aquilegia vulgaris which is native to europe and many of the hybrids and the doubles and the fancy ones that we grow are the European hybrids of the European variety. And then there's yeah. Aquilegia canadensis, which is native to North America. And it's, um, it's a red flower with gold inside tip things that are, it's really pretty. It's the native that it's everybody native. grows from seed. Yeah. And that one might do well in your garden. Maybe, but I think I also just disturb the soil too much. And so maybe I'll plant it in my new shade area. It also gets really hot here. I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't like it here, but it just really doesn't. But I do have one in my front flower bed right now, a really pretty purple one, but I'll take a picture of it if it still has flowers. See, you do have some. I have one. One. Now... There's there's a lot of double flowering columbine, and I have pink tower and blue tower, which I grew from seed maybe 15 years ago, and it continues to reseed itself in my garden and um, kind of crosses, and so I've got different shades of pink and, and blue out there, and I actually have some white. And you're going to take pictures of these so I can put them on Instagram, right? I am. And then I have another uh, fancy double flowering one called Black Barlow, which is really, 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 really dark, dark purple. Dark purple. I've grown that one. I've grown that one several times. I like Black Barlow. I love the common name of the double frilly columbine. The other common name is Granny's Bonnets. Isn't that cute? That is. So I have a lot of Granny's Bonnets. So in my world, these are easy to grow from seed, easy to cast seed about the garden, easy to harvest the seed and share it with people if you want. And who knows what will come up because they're crossing themselves all over out there. They're like hellebores. They're promiscuous. (gasps) Maybe everything in the Ranunculaceae family is. We'll talk later about that. It could be. So you should probably talk about um, how, where you saw it at the local art museum 
And also what insect problems it has. The interesting thing is the art museum had them in containers of early spring plants, um, and we still have danger of frost. And so I think that if you find a blooming one and plant it out, it, it won't really be harmed by frost, which is a nice thing. The thing is, you don't usually mm-hmm. find columbine in flower in the greenhouse, so they had to make special arrangements for those. Well, in my world, you always find it in flower. The specialty ones, you always find them already blooming in the greenhouse, usually at the box store, frankly. Oh. I get a lot of them at the another garden center. There you go. There are two problems I've had with them in my garden. One of them, everybody has the problem of leaf miners, mm-hmm. which are little tiny insects yep. that tunnel in between the two sides of the leaves. So you look like you have these little tunnels going through and little squiggly lines on the leaves. Right. I just, you, you know what I just call that? What do you call that? I just tell myself, I tell myself that's variegation. <laughs> yeah, you can believe that, D, but it's not. <laughs> that way I don't feel bad about the fact that I have squiggles all over them, but that's okay. But you know what? Those squiggles, it doesn't really, um, the plants grow in spite of it and doesn't really cause them to lose vigor or anything. Yeah, they still flower. Right. They do fine. They just have squiggles on their leaves. No big deal. Now, the next insect problem I discovered in my garden one day was the um, columbine sawfly larva which is a little green mm-hmm. inchworm type thing. And they will yep. they will eat all the foliage off the plant. And then... Yeah, they're kind of a problem. Th- then you've kind of got a problem. And so the way I control those is if I see that they're on a plant, then I pick them off and destroy them, pinch them away. Yeah. Squish them. You're welcome to pick any bug off and destroy it if one likes. Yes. Is my thoughts. Because you know what? You're not going to get them all. So I always have trouble with um, certain types of caterpillars on my on some of my plants, on some of my flowers, and I do actually pick some of those off because Mother Nature makes way more little insects than need to live. And picking, hand-picking doesn't hurt anybody but the insects. And, you know, I just had a, a great idea, Dean, but I'm not sure if I'll try this or not, but maybe I will. So when it comes to feeding... Uh, bluebirds, I often buy freeze-dried mealworms, and I have like a little dish that you put those in. I wonder yeah. if I get these sawfly larvae, if I pick those, I wonder if I put them in that little dish, if the bluebirds would come and eat them. So do you think that mealworms taste exactly like sawfly larvae? I doubt it. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. In a future podcast, you can tell me if that works. If I do it. It's kind of crazy. If you do it, which they're tiny little larvae. I know. They they are small. Yeah, they're not. Smaller than mealworms. They're not more than about a half inch long. So, yes. Right. I could try it. And if I try it and I put them in a dish and the birds come and eat it, you'll be the first to know. And our listeners. Okay. Sounds good. So, anyway. Can, are we through to talking about columbines yet? Um. Yeah, we can be through since you're miffed we're even talking about them. But I would like to thank you, Dee, for letting me talk about one of my favorite flowers in my perennial garden. Yeah, because one of these days we're going to talk about Rudbeckia instead. Okay, but I have those too. I know you do, but it's a good flower. So we'll talk about it sometime. And I have just barely touched on the flowers in Ranunculaceae. So listen to this podcast, people. I got a lot more to talk about. 
And what, and then see, Rebecca is in my favorite category, my favorite yes. family, composite, or whatever they're calling it this week. All right, so let's talk about our vegetable. We both like this vegetable. Yes. And uh, the funny thing about this vegetable, it's very common. And I once pitched to write a magazine article about it, and they said, oh, that's kind of common, Carol. It's beans. Yeah, but it's common because people like it. Beans. Exactly. And they're easy to grow. They like them green. They like them dried. And they're easy peasy. Exactly. So what kind of beans do you grow? I have grown almost all of them over the years. But um, I tend to grow bush beans. I've grown pole beans. And pole beans do really well. And they, you know, they have a very long season which is nice. It takes them a while to get going, but you have to have some structure for them to grow upon just like peas. Um, in fact, that's what people often do is they start their peas on this structure and then they start the beans afterwards to kind of do a succession planting. But mostly uh-huh. I do uh, bush beans. How about you? I am almost 90% bush beans. I Every once in a while, I'll get a really cute structure to grow pole beans on and um, but then the structure's made out of some cheap wood or something, and it kind of collapses. So I'm mostly a bush bean girl. Yeah, I am too. And here, I think here's why. You can plant bush beans, and you get beans pretty darn fast. And you get a whole you bunch do. at once for about a two, three-week period, sometimes longer. And if you do succession plantings of your bush beans, not all in the same place, and we'll explain why in a minute, you will get beans all summer long if you want them. And granted, you can do that with pole beans too, but I don't know. I like to grow a lot of different varieties. All You know what I mean? Like purple ones, right. yellow ones. Flat ones, skinny ones. Yeah. There's so many different beans out there. There are green ones. There are French ones, which are thin green ones. There are purple ones. There are Italian ones, which have flat pods. There are yellow ones, which are really good in three-bean salad. There are Chinese long beans, which are a whole other thing, but people do grow them. And there's runner beans, which do not grow well in my climate. So, my goodness, there is a lot of selection. I mean, there's a lot to choose from, right? There is. Um, I bought a huge packet of provider, which is my favorite green bean to grow. Your favorite is provider? And con- yes. Do you like contender? Contender, yes, I like it too. In fact, I don't see that much difference between provider and contender. Me neither. I've grown them both, and they seem very similar. Do you want to hear my funny green bean story about Bill? Of course I want to hear it. <laughs> so when Bill isn't being Monty Don, <laughs> um, years ago <laughs> I announced – You know, I taught myself gardening pretty much, even though I took botany in college, a lot of botany. I taught myself how to garden from the time I was in my teens. And um, when I got to move out here to the seven and a half acres, it was so big and I had so much opportunity to grow anything I wanted. And of course, I I made a vegetable garden first. And I I announced one day that I was going to grow green beans. And my husband said, no, my husband said, no, do not grow. What? Yeah, seriously. Do not grow green beans. I said, why? And he goes, because they're all fuzzy and flat. What? I I said, what? And he goes, my grandmother grew green beans and they were always fuzzy and flat. That's the only kind of green beans you can grow. (laughs) And I said, no, you can grow any kind of green bean you like. And he goes, well, I only like Blue Lake. And I said, well, how do you even know about Blue Lake? And he goes, because that's what comes in the can. 
And I said, oh my gosh, does it not occur to you that that is actually a variety of green bean? I didn't know anything, but I knew that. So I went out and found Blue Lake green beans, and that's what I grew for him to prove to him that not all green beans were fuzzy and flat. So what variety of green beans do you think his grandmother grew that were fuzzy and flat? I have no idea. I have pondered this my whole entire gardening life, and if our listeners know what could possibly have been... I mean, all green beans have a little fuzz on them, and some varieties have more fuzz than others, but with the way they cooked green beans back then, they boiled them to death with some kind of pork product. Surely that fuzz went away. Anyway, my husband to this day thinks that I only grow Blue Lake, but don't tell him, everyone. I grow lots of different varieties. I even grow some flat ones that aren't fuzzy. Yeah, I you know, back in the old days and uh the farmers and gardeners and stuff, they would just go to the local hardware store and they would have one variety of green beans and it would be in a big bin and they'd say, Get me some green bean seeds and they would scoop out some in a packet and write green beans on the outside and that was that. That was that. And so <laughs> Now you got me wondering, what decade should I look in my old seed catalog collection to find the varieties of green beans that were around? Well, Bill was born in 54, and he was a little kid, so it would be late 50s or early 60s. Okay, well, I don't really have any catalogs from that era. Mine are much older. But I am curious. I'm curious, too. I've wondered about it all along. But I also like Provider and Contender like you do. I have grown Blue Lake 274. You know, I don't grow a lot of Blue Lake because you can buy that in a can. <laughs> Apparently so. Although I got to say, the fresh ones are better <laughs> in Blue Lake. It does make a nice round pod. Yes. You know, I mean, it's a good bean and it's really pretty. Um, and then you can, so we're going to link to all the different varieties of Blue Lake you can get. Yes. And then I also love the bean Dragon or Dragon's Tongue. It's sold under both names. Have you grown that one? Uh, it's speckled. Not for a long, long time. The bean is speckled. Or the pod. The pod is because it's kind of a yellow, yellow green background and then it has purple speckles on it and it's a flatter bean. It is really, really good. It cooks up yellow. And then um, I've grown that quite a bit. And we link to a place where you can find that too. I want to try a new bean this year, though. Yeah, but first we should tell listeners that purple beans cook up green. The purple goes away when you cook it. Yes. On most, so like if you grow red okra, your red okra when you cook it is green, too. It's a, There are several things that, now the purple carrots, I think they stay purple, right? They do. I've grown them, I should know. And the purple peas, as we discussed, I think they stay purple. You think they turn ugly. Purplish green. It's kind of an ugly color, but I do love them. I've grown those this year, too. I love those purple magnolia peas. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So we should now discuss the fact that green beans are just beans in their immature form. Exactly. Because that confuses people, and I understand why. So some people grow certain beans just for dried beans or to eat them fresh, which is called a shelly bean. It's so complicated. So I want to try this year tiger eye, which is a dried bush bean that's really pretty. And it's supposed to taste a little bit like a pinto bean, but creamier. And there's a whole world out there. In fact, our friend, Marianne Newcomer, has just gotten back 
she just got back from where where was she that she bought all those beans out west somewhere out west and um don't we sound like midwestern people now we're like yeah somewhere out west we don't know where um on the other side of the rockies that's right um she went someplace that was a bean specialty place and she brought back a whole bunch of really interesting varieties here's the thing about dried beans you have to have the space to grow them to get enough crop to make more than one dinner right yeah you want more than what i call a mess of beans Right, because if you're eating the pods, if you're eating them fresh in the pod, which is a green bean, you don't need to plant that many, and you'll have a good amount every night for dinner for several weeks. But if you're going to grow something like tiger eye or lazy housewife, you're going to need to plant more so that you get more beans. Right, because you have to shell out the dried beans. You, you let the bean grow until the pod is dried, and then you pick the dried pod, and then you get all the beans out of it. And then that's what you store. And on most of these, you could eat them as green beans too, but that's not really the point. You're growing them to be shelled. And so back in the day, back when my grandmother uh, did a lot of beans and stuff, she grew what were called shelly beans. And shelly beans have, um, there's some specific ones that are grown for that that have a high concentration of beans within the pod and you let them just start to get dry and you you can tell when by the shape of the beans and the shape inside the pod you can tell that they're about ready to harvest and then right you, you can kind of see the beans in the pod right and then you harvest them and then you shell them out and one of the real treats is to eat them fresh Yum, yum. And they're, and back to the canned goods again, I think it was Libby's. Libby's had a can bean that I was really fond of as a kid, and it was called Shelly Beans. And so they had shelled beans along with green beans in the can. And you could do that yourself, but fresh, and it would taste a lot better. And we found an article about Shelly Beans that has recipes from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And, oh, my gosh, they sound good. So now that now I want to grow shelly beans, but I really don't have room, so I probably won't. I don't have room either. You're just getting me all going on stuff. I know. I'm so sorry. Should we talk about That's pests? Okay. That might settle us down. Well, I want to talk about why the one heirloom bean is called Lazy Housewife. Oh, yeah, let's do because that's an awesome name. I love that name. The reason why is because this is a bean that is good to pick immature or green, as they say, and eat it as fresh green beans. Or if you got lazy and you decided not to pick them, you could just let them dry and then pick them as shelly beans. Oh, that's really clever. What a clever name for that. Yeah. Yeah, because some of the varieties like, for example, Blue Lake or Contender or Provider, you need to eat them as green beans. The beans don't get big enough to make make a mess of beans, as they would say. Although... I do want to say my grandmother in her diaries from the 1920s, which we are blessed to have, she talks about how um, she would buy the green beans or they would pick the green beans even if they accidentally let them dry. They would not let that go to waste. No, because they needed to eat. So if there was a handful of beans in there, they would eat those. Yeah, it's just like canning. I mean, they canned everything. Because they oh, were yeah. trying to make enough, get enough food so that they had food through the winter, too. We are so lucky now. We get to garden and just enjoy it and not have to provide all the food for our families. 
So now before we talk about the past, yeah. do you can green beans, Dee? I have canned them in the past. I don't can anything now. I mean, if I do can something, I'm going to make bread and butter pickles because I love bread and butter pickles. But And I love them on actually scrambled egg sandwiches. Have you ever had that? No, I have not had bread and butter pickles on a scrambled egg sandwich. You can tell I came from poor people. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I wanted to tell you that I actually will freeze green beans. Oh, yeah. Bring them in. You snap them because that's the fun of green beans is snapping them forever. You clean them up and then you just blanch them for a few minutes. You cool them off right away and then you can just vacuum pack them or whatever and throw them in the freezer. I love them that way. Easy. I love them that way, too. Super easy and they're way better than what you get in the store. Um, But... I Yeah, and you can snap them or you can chop off the ends, whichever way you want to do it. Um, I thought that everybody had to snap green beans into three, two to three pieces when I was in my early 20s. You don't. Really, I did. Because I know that now. But when I was a kid, that's what my grandmother did. So I thought everybody did that, with only with fresh ones. The only thing you really have to take off is you snap off the uh, stem. Stem. But I used to snap off the mm-hmm. tails, <laughs> I call them. My my grandmother snapped Which, them off too. I don't know uh, why we did. Because well, I'm thinking that's dumb. That's a waste of time. That, that they're fine. Don't don't take the little tails off. Well, you pay you pay a, a a big money for them in the store that way. So you might as well leave them that way on yours. I have no idea right. why they do that. So we have to talk about the sad part of beans. Not there aren't very many pests, but there's a couple. The the one pest that comes into play in my garden is the Mexican bean beetles. And they're little yep. yellow and black beetles, and they will chew on the leaves, and they will chew on the beans. And so mm-hmm. um, I find that the later crops are more bothered by the bean beetles. If I can get them in early, the first couple of crops, pickings, I don't have any problems. Exactly. It's like they, they ha- it takes them a while to know they're there. And then they go, oh, yeah, there's a feast over here. Right. And they overwinter as adults in the soil, which is a good reason to rotate your crop to a different section of the garden each year so that they will have, they'll eventually find them, but it'll take them a little longer. So it's a good plan when you're going to grow, if you're going to grow some things to always rotate your crops. And one way to do that, I used to drive myself crazy when I was a young gardener because I would read books on crop rotation and I get myself so stressed out. But you don't need yeah, to do that. The it's truth not complicated. Is, it's not complicated at all. Just don't grow a tomato in the exact same spot you grew a tomato before. Same way with green beans, same way with peas, melons, whatever it is. Just move stuff around. You don't need complicated charts. You can do them if you want to. But just remember, I mean, you know, when you put your stuff in, just draw real quick a chart of your own and just say, okay, I have tomatoes here. And then move the tomatoes to another section next time or the green beans or the squash or whatever. Right. And I, in my garden, I just always like, where did I plant the tomatoes last year? Okay. I'm going to plant them in this other spot. And then I build the rest of the garden around it. Me too. Me too. Which is the the queen. Yeah. The tomatoes are the queens of the garden. And so they get a special spot, just like roses are the queens of the ornamental garden and they have their own special spots too. Right. And the other thing you could do later in the season is you could put, um, We've talked about row cover, thin white horticultural cloth. You could put row cover over your later beans 
And that would keep out a fair number of Mexican bean beetles as well. Yeah, it would help. It would definitely help. And just remember to plant them early, but not too early. Your nights need to be warm and because you don't want them rotting in the soil. And then just expect to see some Mexican bean beetles. You talked about bean mosaic virus. I've never seen that mm-hmm. here. Um, I have seen it a couple of times, but I just don't find it to be that big a deal. I'll be honest. Okay. I haven't had that much trouble right. with it. By the time I see it, I'm done with green beans, and I just pull them up and throw them out. Right. So, And that's we should remind people, throw them out, which is if anything is diseased, don't put it in your compost pile. Put it in the trash. Let the trash man take it because you don't want to get that disease in your compost. And with bean mosaic virus or any of the other viruses, if you buy hybrid hybrids that have resistance, that always helps too. Um, another thing with beans is... You need to pick them almost every day when they're in full production. Yes. Because what happens, Carol, if you don't? I don't know. What happens? You do, too, know what happens. They <laughs> they quit producing. That's right. Because once a bean has set seed and it's ready to go, it's done. So if you're, if you're going gr- growing green beans, pick them almost every day or every other day. And you'll pick a lot at first. So take a colander or a nice big bowl out there to get them. Exactly. I have one other thing to say about beans, Dee. What's that? Well, when I plant my bean seedlings, bean seeds, and the seedlings come up, Yes. Another pest problem is rabbits. Yeah, yeah. Rabbits are a pest problem, period. But the rabbits would devour my rows of green beans as soon as the seeds come up when, and the first true leaves came out. The next day you uh-huh. could go out there and you just see stems sticking up there with no leaves. Yeah. So you know, do you know <laughs> well, what I do to keep the rabbits from eating my I green beans? I know what you did, but our, re- our listeners don't know, so you need to tell them. Okay. So... <laughs> I put rows of plastic forks up and down the bean rows, and I make a fork tress around my beans to protect them. A fork tress. Yes. <laughs> it works, doesn't it? Yes. I buy a huge box of plastic forks at the big warehouse store, and every two to three inches, I stick a fork in the ground up and down every row. It looks ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous, but I don't care because it is just enough deterrent to keep the rabbits away. There you go. What do you do with those forks when you're done? Do you save them? Because we're supposed to be reducing plastic in yes, our garden. Yes, I save them and reuse them every year unless they broke or something. Right. I figured you did. Yes. I Good re- on you. I reuse them. <laughs> Good for you. We'll post, <laughs> we'll post a picture of the fortress for everybody to see what serious gardeners oh we gosh. are. <laughs> no, I don't have a fortress. Mine are up on big raised beds and the rabbits can't get up there. So that's how I dealt with it. Oh, well, I don't have big raised beds, so I'll we'll post a picture of my fortress. And I also built those raised beds so that I could sit on the edge and garden because so much of my garden's in the ground and it gets harder and harder every year to get up and down all the time. So, oh, we should talk about uh, beans that are stringless versus those that have strings. Oh, God, just buy varieties that are stringless. Otherwise, you got to pull that string off. That's just a pain. That's like buying peach trees that aren't that are clingless peaches, isn't that what it's called? Right. Clingless. Clean. Yeah, you don't want to buy peaches that you that the believe me, I know because I have a peach tree where the the stone the the seed is stuck to the peach flesh. Well, it's the same way with green beans. Don't buy green beans that have strings, or you'll spend all day pulling those strings off. Yeah, or pulling them out of your teeth if you eat them. Ew. Ew. 
Well, on that note, Dee, let's move on to the dirt. Okay, the dirt. I wanted to promote a book I read that I really, really enjoyed this week. It's called Vegetables Love Flowers. And it says Companion Planting for Beauty and Bounty by Lisa Mason Ziegler. That sounds like a great book. It is a great book. And there are a couple of things I really, really loved about it. First of all, I'm a big proponent of growing flowers with your vegetables. Me too. I grow calendula and nasturtiums and chives and which is an herb also some of those are herbs and you know all all of those things with my vegetables because I want to get bees. pollination bees that's right pollination and so one of the things she talked about in her book that I really enjoyed she's a champion of annual flowers and she, we why do we like annual flowers carol because they attract pollinators to our vegetable gardens they attract pollinators to our vegetable gardens, and they do that because they have to set seed. An annual is a plant that produces its entire lifetime in one, one season, one year. And so it's always working at producing seeds. That's why you deadhead annual flowers sometimes. And they ha- usually they have lots of nectar because they are seed-bearing plants, and they must attract pollinators, unless they are wind-pollinated. But I can't think of any right now. That are no, and you know because they need to attract pollinators. They are beautiful flowers too, zinnias and marigolds and sunflowers. They're bright and happy and beautiful, and who doesn't want that in their vegetable garden? Exactly. So try to find a space in your vegetable garden for flowers. It, it you know it doesn't take up much room. And then also, <clears throat> she wrote about bumblebees and buzz pollination. And even though I love... What is buzz pollination? What's buzz pollination? Yeah, what's that? Well, bumblebees, unlike honeybees, bumblebees um, shake their booties to pollinate, basically. And so they're extremely good pollinators, so they shake their bodies and they buzz. And by doing that, they shake off more pollen onto their big, fat bumblebee bodies. And then they zoom over to the next flower, and so they're actually really good pollinators. Now... As a beekeeper, I'll say that also the European honeybee is a pretty good pollinator too. But bumblebees are supposed to be better pollinators because of the buzz pollination. Anyway, I think people should read this book. It's a, it's a great book, has really good information, has plants by season, tells you which annuals are warm season, which ones are cool season, talks about perennials. I just really enjoyed it. Oh, and guess what, Carol? What? She has a whole section on your plant of the year. Tagetes erecta? Marigolds. Marigold. That's right. Marigolds. The collection of marigolds that Carol is yes. growing this year. She has a whole section on it. And all different types. So great seed starting tips. A really, really good, really, really good book. Okay. I, I've enjoyed it. Well, we'll put a link to that on our show notes if people want to see where they can get that book. And as always, we suggest that people, uh, we might put a link to Amazon, but Go look at it over there, but then go to your independent bookstore and ask them to order a copy for you, and they'll be happy to do that. If you can buy it from your local bookstore, buy it from them. They need it. And speaking of books, we have some good news about your book. We do have some good news. I have a children's book, and this is uh, Children's Book Week this week, May um, April 29th through May 5th. But I have a children's book that I wrote and published last year called The Christmas Cottontail, a story for gardeners of all ages. And last Saturday, I went to a lunch 
of the Women's Press Club of Indiana, and I picked up a first prize award for that book for children's fiction. Yay, Carol. So I was very excited. I was very excited. So this week on my blog, I'm giving away a copy of that book to a lucky commenter so they could go out to maydreamsgardens.com and look for the post about the Christmas cottontail, leave a comment, and you're entered to win, and you have to comment by midnight Eastern Daylight Time on May the 5th. Yes, go comment, people. You want this book. It's a sweet book. I bought it last year at Christmas time. Thank you, Dee. You're welcome. Anytime. Um, is that it for today? That is it for today. So where else can people find us, Dee? They can find us all over. We have an Instagram account, and they can find us also individually on Instagram. And, and we do post different pictures to all of our different accounts, so you won't see the same old thing. And then we're also on Facebook. You can find us at thegardenangelus at gmail.com and ask us questions, and we will try to get back to you as soon as possible. We're also on Twitter. And if you want to listen to this podcast, which if you're listening to this podcast, you're already listening, so I don't know. But you can find us on Buzzsprout, and you can find us on iTunes, and where else? Google Play, right? Google Play. And on iTunes, we would love if you would leave us a review. That really helps us to be found by other listeners, and we hope that they would enjoy this podcast too. And we hope we teach you guys a little something. I know that I learn something every day about gardening and beekeeping, and I've been doing it almost all my whole life. The same here. Well, I sure enjoyed chatting with you today. I enjoyed chatting over the garden fence between Indiana and Oklahoma once again. Have a great week. Thanks, Dee. Bye. Bye. Bye.